We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning, and it is a happy Monday, and we are right back into the swing of things in terms of the civil society and the civil element of government and everything going on uh, this year. And so it was a great kind of holiday break, but now we are moving right back into a new congressional session this week and then a week from today are the Iowa caucuses for the uh, 2024 presidential race. So a lot to break down this morning. And joining me now as our first guest is our good friend, Congressman Chip Roy from the great state of Texas. So uh, Chip, really looking forward to uh, your your comments this morning. Let's start with Congress and uh, big things this week. So there was a uh, spending framework that uh, just dropped yesterday. According to um, the headlines, Congress reaches a $1.66 trillion deal to avoid a government shutdown. So uh, lawmakers are now up against a stiff deadline to pass legislation to codify the deal and avert a partial government shutdown. So uh, what should we know about this and also projection into this new congressional session? Well, good morning, Jenna, uh, from West Des Moines. Uh, Great to be talking to you. Uh, I'll be flying back to D.C. tomorrow. Um, Of course, I'll be flying back to, uh, unfortunately, do more of the same, apparently, although I'll, I'll be opposing it. Uh, I was extremely disappointed uh, to, to see what was, uh, quote, agreed to uh, yesterday. Um, I'd heard rumblings and had been had, having some internal conversations. It was fearful that that was what was being done. Uh, but uh, what you're getting is a massive, uh, uh, you know, I think, violation of even the caps we fought to put in place last year, which weren't even that good, right? Remember, during the debt ceiling, we increased the debt $4 trillion, and for that we got kind of effectively a spending freeze. Um, But we at least got some caps in place that we could possibly trigger, and we were sitting with a bird in hand that if we just simply uh, agree to a, a continuing resolution for the rest of this year, it would have cut non-defense spending by about $70 billion. Well, for whatever reason, uh, the Speaker's office and those involved in the conversation, the appropriators, cut a deal with Democrats that's going to be basically uh, increasing spending, uh, you know, uh, about almost $60 billion over last year's levels. But basically, in fairness, what you're really getting is the Nancy Pelosi spending levels, the omnibus levels, remember, last year that we hated, and they're going to be at least $30 billion more than that uh, with additional defense spending. 
I don't know why we did it. Uh, it's more of the same swamp games. The uh, average American's sick of it. Um, uh, we should oppose it. I will oppose it. Uh, and I'm going to have to call out the, the Speaker and, and Republicans who are uh, supporting spending more money we don't have. And, and by the way, we won't get any meaningful border security with it. Well, so this this, I think, is frustrating to a lot of conservatives and certainly Republicans who are tired of the same old, same old in Washington. And when Speaker Mike Johnson took over, I think a lot of us, myself included, who has known him personally for years, thought, OK, we're finally going to get some meaningful conservative leadership that is going to use even the slim majority that is the House Republican majority right now and at least take advantage of that and not do things like this. So what in your in your view and, and being on the Hill and a lot more intimately involved, obviously, is the issue with the speaker's office, is this a, a staffing problem that he just doesn't have good conservatives around him? Is it something that, you know, he kind of is in over his head a little bit or, or what, um, wh- what's going on with Mike Johnson? Well, I always hate to characterize things, especially when you, you know, you, you, you like someone, you like some of the folks that work around him. Um, but, you know, I, I got to be very blunt here. Uh, I think staff does uh, not exactly uh, help them in this case. And, and importantly, I think what you're seeing is Mike's reflecting the broken Republican Congress rather than uh, kind of fighting to uh, lead us out of being broken. So in other words, what do I mean by that? We've only got maybe a two-seat majority right now, and it's arguably one, depending on how you count who's out and sick right now in January without getting all that in terms of the whip counts. but. You know, it's it's very thin since uh, Speaker, former Speaker McCarthy, uh, left the House earlier this month. Um, our numbers have dwindled, but we still have the majority. And if every Republican would just unite around the Speaker, or stated differently, the Speaker would demand that every Republican unite around him to just simply extend the continuing resolution for the rest of the year. We would hold defense flat, hold veterans flat, and cut non-defense seventy billion. Wouldn't be back to pre-COVID levels, but it would be a massive, historic cut to the bureaucracy that's at war with the American people. Unfortunately, the speaker is reflecting a conference that won't do that. There'll be some that'll say, oh, I can't cut spending and have a shutdown. I'll lose my seat. I'll lose my primary. Others will say, well, Chip, we can't do that because defense, we got to plus up defense spending. And defense is always used as an excuse to keep exploding the bureaucracy that is undermining our freedom. And so in this bill, we're not going to materially change the extent to which the United Nations is at war with us. We're not going to materially secure the border. We're not going to materially fix the Department of Justice. And oh, by the way, we're going to keep spending them at bloated levels, uh, either at the Pelosi levels or higher over at the Pentagon, even though Lloyd Austin can't even find it in himself to tell the president and the civilian uh leadership that, oh, hey, I'm out for four days. I mean, I just, it's very disappointing. It just reflects, the short version is, Speaker Johnson is just simply reflecting the same broken Republican conference that's been screwing up America uh, rather than fighting Democrats. The one thing I've wanted out of Republicans, and I said it in my speech before Thanksgiving that a lot of my Republican colleagues got mad at me for on the floor of the House when I said, name one thing that we've done. Just name one. What are we going to go run on? They got mad at me. Chip, you're giving an ad to Democrats. I said, well, the one way to fix that 
is to actually do something. Well, unfortunately, here we sit, and uh, we're just, you know, never actually, you know, fighting Democrats with the same force that they use to fight, you know, our freedom and destroy our country. And, you know, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep calling it out. And, uh, you know, it wasn't personal against Kevin. It's not personal against Mike. But, dadgummit, I was sent here to change things, or sent to D.C., I should say, to change things. And so I'm going to keep calling it out and keep fighting to change it. Well, and that's that's one of the main reasons that I personally have so much respect for you, Congressman Chip Roy, is because you will call out the the issues and you will remain dedicated and have fidelity to the values that conservatives and Americans uh, trust entrusted uh, to the Republican majority on the Hill rather than making it personal. And um, and it shouldn't be personal. It should be just a matter of actually doing your job. And I think you said it so well that this is a reflection of the conference that seems to be so uh, all over the place and not cohesive. And a lot of the pushback against Kevin McCarthy was that he couldn't really whip together and control the conference. And it seems like Mike Johnson is having the same problem. And so hopefully as we move forward into uh, the the legislative session and the new congressional session, we'll see some of that change and we can hope and pray for that. And listeners can always contact their members and voice this and, uh, and, and try to at least get the Republican majority to advance conservative values. Um, but in the last five minutes or so I have with you, I want to Turn now to uh, to Iowa. You're there in Des Moines and have been there uh, with uh, another really great patriot, um, Congressman Thomas Massey, um, who's one of my favorites. And both of you are there on be- um, on behalf of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and running for president. So, what is the situation there like in Iowa? We're seeing that the polls um, are suggesting that Donald Trump is, you know, way ahead and. Uh, his team is suggesting that DeSantis should just drop out and everybody should endorse him. Um, does that reflect what you're seeing on the ground in Iowa? Well, it sure is funny that, uh, you know, the the uh, folks that are in the Trump camp and that are in Nikki Haley's camp, you know, they've spent uh, $40 million against Governor DeSantis. Uh, and if, if they uh, thought that it was such a wide-open poll, why would they do that? Um, the fact is... Uh, Governor DeSantis has a great infrastructure on the ground, a uh, significant number of people who are committed to him. Look, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing him out there. I'm talking to him. Uh, you know, the first lady's been on the phone with him, first lady Casey DeSantis. Uh, you know, he's got 1,500 committed uh, precinct captains that we're talking to on a regular basis. That's a significant number. A whole bunch of people who have pre-committed to caucus for him. Uh, historic numbers, if, if they're accurate, those get a little trickier, right, because they're filling out forms. And, So you're going through and counting them all. But the most important thing is he's been to 99 counties. Neither of the other candidates have done that. He's been to most of them multiple times. He's been, he's had over 200 events uh, in the state. Uh, I feel like I've done almost 200 of them in the last week. And we've been all over uh, Iowa. I mean, it just, and I'm in today, I'm I'm still in in Iowa and I'm going to go all over the state with the first lady. The governor had to fly back to, Florida to go deliver the state of the state in Florida, which, of course, is quite good, uh, the state of the state in Florida, and that's why he's uh, running for president. He's such an effective governor. And uh, But we're going to be out here campaigning today still, uh, talking to folks, and there's a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. And what Iowans understand is that it's not polls that decide this, and polls are tough to reflect the truth on the ground, and polls are pretty thin. They're not doing a lot of polls these days. And I think it's somewhat purposeful. 
It's also purposeful that former President Trump is not out here and doesn't uh, doesn't uh, debate when he does come out of here. I mean, he was out here the other day, but he hasn't been out here very much. You know, it's pretty non-energetic, to be honest with you. And uh, he won't debate. I mean, the reason he won't debate is pretty simple. I think he'd get his clock cleaned by Governor DeSantis. Because former President Trump, let's just be blunt, he said he would secure the border. He said he would build the wall. He said he would have Mexico pay for it. Neither of those things happened. He said he would sign a birthright citizenship uh, ban by executive order. That didn't happen. He said that he would, you know, fix border policy. Instead, he sided up with uh, Paul Ryan to do an amnesty first rather than border security first bill. Said he would repeal Obamacare. Didn't happen. Then he empowered Fauci to shut down our economy, shove our kids into the corner, make us wear masks, make us wear va- or take vaccines. Governor DeSantis thought all that. And uh, there's, there's many more things I could go through if I had more time. The bottom line is Governor DeSantis has delivered. He has fought for us. And, and as the governor says, President Trump, he's in this for his issues. And Nikki Haley is in this for her donors' issues. And Governor DeSantis is in this for you and me. But more importantly, here in Iowa, he's in it for the people of Iowa and their issues. And really well said, uh, Congressman Chip Roy. And you know everything that you just stated is a policy issue. It's it's a record issue, and it's something that uh, Governor DeSantis is actually running on, rather than uh, just this back and forth um, of of personality issues and claiming that loyalty means that if you voted for Trump in 2016 or 2020, then you're a traitor to America. If somehow you know you prefer a different conservative candidate, and this is all about the Republican Party and the GOP selecting the best candidate and the best champion to go against whoever the Democrats put up in November of this year. And as we come into this year, it's really frustrating to see how much the rhetoric has really accentuated. And I think for listeners who aren't as online as, you know, maybe you and I are in terms of um, of social media and, and X, uh, formerly Twitter, as much, um, I really wonder if people understand how vile some of this rhetoric is. And I want to get, um, you know, your response, which I think is just going to be laughing because, but this was just disgusting, that an actual Trump campaign surrogate posted a picture, uh, reposted one that you had in um, in Iowa, and it said, why would Rob DeSantis invite Chip Roy to Iowa? Chip Soy looks like your typical child predator. What a freak. He actually posted that. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, I ignore these loudmouth fools. I mean, every once in a while, you know, you pop off and, you know, I, I used an expletive one time this fall in response to these so-called MAGA surrogates. Um, no apology for attacking these clowns. Uh, I can promise you that the pre- former president hasn't apologized for any of these folks. And, uh, and that's part of the problem, uh, you know. And, and the bottom line is these people aren't real. People that are real are the people on the ground in Iowa, the people that are hurting, people who need help. This isn't about Don- uh, Donald Trump. This is yeah. about our country and our future, and it's about freedom. Well said. And we're already out of time, but we'll have you back on, and good luck on the ground in Iowa. We'll be right back. 
Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. But after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on an ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are continuing to talk about the Iowa caucuses that will be uh, next week, next Monday. And so we are uh, getting full swing into the 2024 presidential election. Last year, of course, was kind of ramping up to this, and a lot of the candidates that announced their candidacy, we are finally going to start seeing some results and whether or not uh, the polls are accurate. And of course, we start with Iowa. So uh, joining me now from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign is Stefan Myhailu, um, who is uh, one of the main um, spokespersons for the Vivek Ramaswamy campaign. And Stefan, um, I know that Vivek has actually gone around, um, and, and I think he will complete this twice if he has already to all of the 99 counties in Iowa. He's been on the ground there. And so I'll ask you the same question I just asked uh, Congressman Chip Roy in the last segment. Um, Do you think that the polls are accurate in terms of Donald Trump being so far ahead, or are we going to see some some surprises in Iowa? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of surprises, Jenna. And first and foremost, it's always a blessing to be with you. Um, yeah, the Vivek Ramaswamy visited all 99 counties in Iowa, not once, but twice. And political pundits had to come up with a new name for it. Uh, normally visiting all 99 once is called the full Grassley, but Vivek did it twice. And so they had to call it the double Grassley. You know, I always go back to 2012 to Rick Santorum and the same team that ran Rick Santorum's efforts in Iowa uh, Matt Schultz, is now running Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign for the Iowa caucus right now. And Rick Santorum was at 5% in the polls three weeks before the Iowa caucus. And guess who won in 2012? Rick Santorum. Same thing in 2016 with Ted Cruz, who was victorious in the Iowa caucus then. And so what we're finding is that a huge percentage of Vivek Ramaswamy's donors are first-time donors, uh, upwards of 40%. They've never given to a political candidate before. So what we are seeing on the ground in Iowa is a lot of people committing to caucus for Vivek who have never been polled before. They've never even voted before. It's going to be the first time they ever participate, not only in a caucus, but casting their ballot and voting for someone. That's why we believe very firmly that there's going to be a big shock for the Iowa caucus one week from today for Vivek Ramaswamy. 
And Stefan, um, for for those who aren't in Iowa or in a caucus state, uh, my former home state of Colorado was a caucus system until it uh, changed to a primary system. Now, of course, the, the Colorado GOP is threatening to go back to a caucus system depending on the outcome of the U.S. Supreme Court decision uh, with Trump uh, on the ballot. And, you know, all of those issues are absolutely insane. I think that Colorado's uh, case was absolutely uh, ridiculous. It was an unconstitutional finding. And um, if you want to talk about undermining democracy, well, that's exactly what the Democrats in that state are doing. Uh, But getting back to caucuses, um, for those who aren't as familiar in how exactly that works compared to just uh, casting their vote in the primary, um, can you just explain that in in kind of the 30-second version of why uh, caucuses are a little different? That's a great question. Um, And in 2020, there's only five states that actually use the caucus system to choose a presidential nominee, Iowa being one of them. Normally in a primary or election, you vote secretly, you cast a ballot, and there's a, a final tally. Caucuses are very different, and you need a really strong ground game because you physically need to bring people to a location. These caucus meetings are arranged by local political parties, and people go into a gym, an auditorium, and you literally physically group with fellow folks uh, going to support for president. Then you either raise hands, people give speeches, and then based on the physical presence people in a group in a caucus, that's who then uh, receives votes and delegates. So that's how it's different from a, a primary system. Iowa is the first caucus in the nation, but that's why they do truthfully say New Hampshire is the first in the nation primary, which is going to be uh, a little over a week from now. Right. And, and I think that's, um, you know, a great and apt description. And and we also have kind of the scaffolding of states where you have, uh, you know, Iowa and then New Hampshire and then some of these other states um, that then ultimately get to uh, the, the primary um, choice for each you know, the GOP and then also uh, the Democrat ticket. And, and of course, you know, Democrats aren't really um, holding their election in the same way, which is why um, RFK Jr. is now running independent, um, which is a whole other um, issue, I think, for the Democrats. But um, what from a campaign strategic standpoint um, has Vivek done in, for example, Iowa with the caucus system than New Hampshire, where he's also been uh, quite a few times um, because they have a primary? What's kind of the strategic difference between the two? Yeah, another great question, Jenna, all because of the difference between a caucus and a primary, because a physical presence is so important for a caucus. Uh, Team Vivek is knocking on a ton of doors. And we're identifying at all of Vivek's different events, all the different donors. People are volunteer. Uh, and we're identifying all those individuals who have never voted before, never caucused before, and having a, a very structured game plan of physically getting them to caucus one week from today in Iowa. And that's the big difference between how you have a strategy for a caucus and a primary, where, again, a primary is just you go in a, a ballot booth, you cast a ballot, and you vote for the person of your choice. A physical presence is critically important in Iowa. And that's why I cannot stress enough is, you know, Matt Schultz, who's our chair in Iowa. Uh, He's a political powerhouse in Iowa. He mapped out the game plan for a successful campaign for Rick Sam Torum in 2012, did the same for Ted Cruz in 2016, and he's going to do the same for Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, we saw very early on, and it was eye-opening, Jenna, about how many donors – flocked to Vivek Ramaswamy, who've never given before. And what that told us 
was that we're part more of a, a grassroots movement rather than a traditional campaign. And that's where the idea came up. Well, wait a minute. Why don't we tap into that? You know, there's value in that. Tap into the people who have never, ever participated before. And that's why getting back even to your first question, that's why we feel as though a lot of the polls are just dead wrong. Because there's a lot of people who we believe are going to caucus for Vivek who would never be identified as a traditional voter. And we firmly believe Vivek is going to shock the world in the Iowa caucus. And we will see what happens one week from today. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I think this is going to be a bellwether um, as much as, you know, New Hampshire has always traditionally been a bellwether state. Um, You know, Iowa, especially in this election, is going to tell a lot um, uh, about whether or not uh, the polls have even been remotely accurate. And and I think you're absolutely right. Um, Stefan, who's the uh, deputy communications director for Vivek 2024, uh, that that the groundswell of support and the grassroots movement behind um, Vivek has is really growing. And I have seen that um, personally over the last year, even just um, talking with people, getting listener comments, for example, that um, when Vivek is out there just saying things so bluntly that people not only want to hear that they agree with, but but that nobody else is saying, um, his tagline of just, this is the truth, you know, just truth. He's running on truth. I think that has really resonated with so many people who initially um, all, a lot of the politicos and, you know, the people who've been around for a while and think that they're, you know, the the political strategists um, initially kind of counted him out. And I think you're seeing that just being that communicator and being willing to tell the truth um, is genuinely resonating with people uh, across, you know, all age groups, all demographics. Um, I was I was even, I was literally getting my nails done the other day in Florida and talking, you know, with the lady who was doing it and, you know, and, and another one who was sitting there. And um, we, you know, the conversation turned to politics and and both of them said, yeah, but, you know, I really like this guy Vivek. Like he just he just says what everybody is thinking. And I thought, you know, that is that seems to be the overall um, consensus of how Vivek has, has run his campaign. And so how much. Um, do, do you think the the name recognition and the support has been since, you know, about what has it been a little less than a year ago that he launched the campaign until now and to see that that widening and deepening support? Well, it's been amazing, Jenna, and I've been with the campaign from the very beginning in February of last year in New Hampshire launching it. And I remember looking at the very initial polls and they didn't even register. It was a hash mark. It was 0.0%. And here we are one week from the Iowa caucus firmly believing we're going to shock the world. And you're right. You know, I've gotten to know Vivek personally. We both have young kids and he is just such a good man. Constantly asking about my wife, Ashley, how's your family? How's your kids? Making sure that I have a good balance, you know, between work in my family. And I think that's someone who we want as our commander in chief. You know, he's a business owner and political outsider, built billion dollar businesses from scratch, and he doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, you look at the flip side of that, of let's say a career politician like a Nikki Haley. You know, on the debate stage, Vivek asked her point blank, name three provinces in Ukraine. She couldn't do it. Blank stare. You know, she had a really just bizarre non-answer when someone asked what Such was the cause of the Civil War. And she, <laughs> yeah, she was just afraid to say slavery, which is so bizarre. You know, talking about uh, the fact that I was going to make a mistake and we need to correct it in New Hampshire. You know, that's the definition of a career politician who has their strings pulled by 
Super PAC puppet masters. And that's not Vivek at all. He, he really is. And again, I, I, I see him, you know, for lack of a better phrase, behind the scenes, you know, spending time with him and his family, him with mine. And he, he's just such a good man who speaks the truth, isn't afraid to do so, and is running for the right reason, putting service over self and simply wanting to make America a better place to live for, for my kids, for his, and for every single American. Mm-hmm. Really well said, um, Stefan. And, you know, I've um, listeners know that I've known Vivek personally for years. And I was, um, you know, initially one of just in my personal capacity, obviously, um, was one who donated really early on just to get him on the debate stage because the, the, the wider and deeper the bench of really good conservatives that we have. Um, that are running for any office, including uh, president, I think is actually better for the party. And one of the things um, that I find so um, genuinely sad about this particular primary is to see how um, how much division there has actually been among people who support uh, President Trump versus Governor DeSantis versus Vivek, um, you know, versus others. And to see that that kind of division is um, it, it is really just going to a very dark place. And I had asked um, Congressman Chip Roy uh, as well in the last segment, and I just wanted to get your responses, because even though it doesn't involve um, Vivek specifically, you know, we've seen a lot of the, the Trump surrogates that have posted a lot of just really intensely vulgar things about um, not only Congressman Tom Massey, about Chip Roy, about Governor DeSantis. And I don't think that that is helpful in any way, shape or form to the conservative movement, um, to this country, to its future. And, you know, you, you're you online um, probably as much as I am. And, and I know that you've seen some of this. Um, what is your response to to all of that going on with some of the online influencers that that I think would genuinely shock uh, some of, of even our listeners here that aren't as much online to see that, for example, you know, one of the Trump campaign surrogates is calling sitting Congressman Chip Roy um, somebody who looks like a typical child predator in his actual tweet words. I mean, that to me is just wholly unacceptable. Yeah, it's sad and unfortunate. And I can share my personal experience being an elected official. I was the Erie County Controller, independently elected for nine years, the taxpayer watchdog. And the district that I ran and won in, in three elections, it's you know bigger than congressional districts, bigger than the state of Vermont. And bare-knuckle politics uh, in Buffalo and Erie County, New York. But I would regularly have beers, coffee uh, with uh, Democrats, those who consider themselves socialist Democrats, because at the end of the day, we could debate policy, we can argue about our beliefs, uh, but we all want to make our communities in America a better place to live. And so that's how I approached you know, my politics, and Vivek Ramaswamy is doing the same. At the end of the day, we're all in the shared mission of making sure that President Biden goes back to his basement and never serves as commander-in-chief ever again. And so from Vivek Ramaswamy's perspective, you know, we believe that there's going to be a shock in the Iowa caucus and he'll be the nominee. And if so, you know, we're going to see a Ronald Reagan-type landslide like we did in 1980. Our divided country cannot afford uh, a 50.1 to 49.9 election over President Biden. That will not heal our divided nation within our own party, as you mentioned, Jenna, or across the country. And so I think it's very productive for all of us, regardless of who you're supporting in the primary. Obviously, I am team vague, 
But we need to focus on the shared mission of, at the end of the day, Joe Biden has an open border. Inflation is killing and hurting our families. Inflation is just destroying our economy. And that is what our shared mission is, making sure that we defeat uh, Joe Biden. So there's no place in the political arena, especially amongst our own, for lack of a better phrase, amongst conservatives, of having this circular firing squad against each other. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we need to make our case in a positive way. And, and, and I'll close my thought by saying this. It's exactly why Vivek Ramaswamy says he's not running against Donald Trump or anybody in the GOP primary. He's running for the American people. And if we all shared that positive vision, we'd all be a lot better off, especially within uh, the confines of our own conservative movement. Yeah, and and I really respect Vivek for that, and and I know that he's taken a lot of heat, um, you know, from some people saying, well, he's just running to be press secretary for Donald Trump. I don't think that's accurate. I I don't see that at all. What I see is that he is saying he's he's grateful for what President Trump did in the first four years, and now he wants to take it to the next level. He's campaigned on you know America First 2.0, and if we as conservatives all shared that vision and called out policy, like he's willing to call out Nikki. Haley on stage for um, you know some of the positions that aren't genuinely conservative. Those things clash over absolutely because we need to, as conservatives, choose the best candidate. But we don't need to take these cheap uh, personal shots and. And, and talking about, for example, um, you know Donald Trump's record and some of the things that we now disagree with. Like I personally say, I think that uh, Governor DeSantis is the best candidate. If Vivek becomes the nominee, I'll fully support him. I mean, it, it, those types of things are within bounds. But we need to stop all of this ridiculous political attacking, like saying you're a traitor if you don't um, support, you know, X Y Z candidate. Um, it's not helpful. It's totally ridiculous. But uh, Stefan, really appreciate your time today. Looking forward to the Iowa caucuses, and we'll see whether or not we get a big surprise there for Vivek, uh, Governor DeSantis. Who knows? All right, we'll be back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And, uh, you know, we are going into this week, like I said, full speed ahead into 2024. And um, I was in church yesterday morning at, um, at, a, at a new church, you know, my new church in Florida, which, um, which I really love uh, so far. And, um, and it's been really great to get to know uh, some people here in Florida. And 
the pastor uh, just very upfront, out of the gate, first uh, Sunday in 2024, said, you know, this is going to be an even more chaotic year, likely, than what we've seen even over the past several years, and didn't sugarcoat it. And, um, and of course, I appreciate that, and I think there are so many pastors and churches that um, almost try to confine some of the, the comments and uh, what they discuss in church just to uh, expositing the Bible and do not want to touch uh, any sort of political or cultural issues. And in my view, that's actually um, not serving uh, people in church well. You have to be able to take, yes, the rich, robust theology and exposition of Scripture, but then apply it to our daily lives and ensure that we know how to live out our faith as Christians in our civil society, in our communities, in our government system, and uh, in, as C.S. Lewis says, the reality to which we're presented. And if we I cannot translate what we learn in church and what we read every day in scripture into how we live our lives, then we are going to miss a lot of uh, opportunities that we have to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ. And one of the things that um, that my pastor said uh, was actually that the word that, that came to mind as he was praying um, over this year and um, the, the vision for uh, this church is actually that word opportunity. And it comes from um, Ephesians 5. And I'm going to read this um, because this, this really impacted me yesterday as I was sitting in church um, and listening to this. Um, because he was talking about an opportunity in the midst of the days being evil, that as much as we can look at uh, how how far our culture um, is going down the drain, as far as as all of these things that are examples of disappointments uh, that we face, um, even talking about you know some of the things going on in Congress, um, you know what may or may not happen in. Uh, the presidential election in 2024, of course, we are hopeful as Christians that we get a um, a Christian and also um, a solid conservative and someone who is um, dedicated to the original intent of the Constitution uh, to lead our nation. Um, and frankly, I would, I personally would take any Republican over the Democrats, right? Um, I would, I would take anyone over a Joe Biden or a Gavin Newsom to lead this country, even a Nikki Haley, um, because I think that I would choose the, the best of all possible options. And and that's what we need to focus on. But um, but anyway, so the, so my pastor's talking about making the most of every opportunity and going back to Ephesians 5, which says this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there is not, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, fool, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I'll just repeat that last verse. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And this was such a great way to start 2024 and the year that that I, I agree with my pastor is going to be um, likely more chaotic, more contentious. Um, even then 2020, 2016, and, uh, and and what we can look on in our most recent past. Um, there are a number of things going on, um, not just the, the elections and the, the controversy and the culture and um, so much that's going on here in our country, but we can look to um, the unrest that's still going on in Israel, the war uh, there with Hamas. We can look to the conflict um, in Ukraine. I mean, all of these things, wars and rumors of wars, um, all of the things that, that the Bible tells us and forecasts and whether or not we are getting closer um, to the end of all things or the end of, of time, um, of times and into um, what I believe will be a literal physical um, revelation uh, that, that is not just an allegory, but um, that that my eschatology is that there will be a literal uh, physical rapture and, and then tribulation and second coming of uh, Christ Jesus, and we can look forward to that. And so obviously, as the days pass, um, we are getting closer to the end times because we are confined to a linear time frame here on earth. But whether or not we will experience the end of all things in our lifetimes um, is always the question. But the days are becoming increasingly evil. And we've known that we are in the period of the last days since the beginning of the church age. So for the last 2,000 years, really, we have been in what the Bible would, would term um, and what dispensationalist uh, theology would, would term as the last days. And so um, the days are evil, and we should not be surprised um, that there are all kinds of ways that um, that morally um, ignorant and intentionally unrighteous, immoral people are trying to sin and to codify sin in our culture and have our law reflect that immorality. Because um, the law, and, and this is why I love the law and I'm fascinated with the philosophy of law and, and, and the reason I became a lawyer and the reason that I love talking about the philosophy of law, because law is always an expression of someone's morality. Uh, that society, whatever our society permits versus prohibits, is a reflection on what that society values in terms of the measurable difference between right and wrong and good and evil. And as the days continue to grow more evil, 
Um, even with uh, the, the writer of Ephesians talking about how the days even back then were evil. The days are evil. And we are still called then to make the most of every opportunity. And that, of course, first and foremost means sharing our faith and helping others come into a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our first and greatest calling as Christians. Once we enter into uh, that saving knowledge of the Lord, we are called to share our faith and to bring as many people with us as we can um, to heaven and to, uh, to the eternal presence of our Lord and Savior. Um, that's not the only calling of a Christian. We are also called not only to be good stewards, uh, but to be good citizens of this time and place that God has, through his providence and his sovereignty, placed us. And so we are to make the most of every opportunity as well in terms of our civil society and how we can impact and influence our communities around us. And that means locally. Um, Abe Hamilton talks so often on his program about living locally. Um, this is why I'm getting involved in a church in Florida, um, living locally. That's where I live now. And I want to uh, become a member of that church and to continue to um, use the gifts that God has given me in the context of the church, um, as well as civil society. So it's not enough for me as a Christian um, to exercise my ministry here at AFR and to talk about civil society being engaged in um, in everything going on in our community. Um, I have to, as a Christian, because the Bible commands it and, and prescribes it, to also be involved in a local church. And so we need to be exercising our gifts locally, which means the church, it means our communities where we live, and it also does mean our our greater civil society, which for Americans means the nation that God has ordained that we are citizens of. Um, we are citizens here in America, and um, we may or may not like that on any given day, and, and what our federal headship uh, will will uh, put forward and, and what that confines us to in terms of whether we, we like or not that Congress is, uh, is authorizing potentially this spending package, uh, whether we like that um, there are some decisions that come down from the Supreme Court, whether um, you know if you are a citizen or a resident of the state of California, for example, and you don't like the fact that there is a legislation now that requires um, these these stores that have, I think it's 500 plus employees to have gender neutral toy aisles. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Um, and you're not going to like that. And you're going to work, hopefully, to change that. Um, we have to be good citizens and take advantage of every opportunity. And opportunity doesn't just mean complaining about it or identifying the problem and saying that this is a problem. It also means to have solutions and work to change that. And one of the things that I love about AFR as well is the AFR action side and how much um, legislative involvement this ministry has. That is so important that we engage everywhere that we can as good citizens and participate in our civil society because we have an opportunity as Americans to be engaged in our government. We aren't just uh, passive a bystander, bystanders looking at our government and a system that doesn't allow participation. We, the people, 
actually have a great inheritance here in America and a blessing of liberty that as much as the days are evil, we can participate and we can make a difference. And I would ask you, all of our uh, AFR listeners, to truly consider not only uh, first and foremost, your primary ministry, of course, is your family, uh, but consider participation in church. How much are you exercising your gifts in your local church community? Are you taking advantage of every opportunity? Be involved in church. Be a member. Be accountable to your local church. And then consider as well, are you taking advantage of every opportunity to engage in your civil society? Instead of just passively watching the news, passively complaining about what's going on, or you know, passively participating in the, the rhetoric of you know, the, the divisiveness that absolutely is, is the presidential election, you know, all of that ultimately should not stop us from taking advantage of every opportunity to participate meaningfully and with thanksgiving in civil society. Instead of having, you know, this attitude of, of divisiveness and, um, you know, saying, well, if you're not supporting my presidential candidate, then, you know, we're no longer mutual conservatives or, you know, finding ways to divide. We need to find ways to come together as the body of Christ and say, what values are we ultimately promoting? Um, I was talking to some friends after church yesterday about, you know, the the, uh, the different issues that, that people all debate and how, you know, first and foremost, I am not, I mean, I'm not even a registered Republican anymore, frankly. Um, I'm conservative, but um, but I, I uh, switched to unaffiliated uh, back in 2021. And I think that better reflects uh, my political philosophy because I'm not going to subscribe to everything that the Republican Party uh, want, would want me to. Um, if you're a registered Republican, totally okay. That's, you know, that's, that's a valid choice. Uh, but my view on politics and my view on policy and my view on different values is, is going to be necessarily derived from Christian truth. I first and foremost identify as a child of God. I am a Christian first way more than anything else that but before being a lawyer, before being, um, you know, a, a whether it's Republican, independent, whatever, before any of that. I am a Christian, and so my political philosophy is going to be necessarily derived from my Christian faith. I'm not going to hold a position that is contrary or antithetical to Scripture. And we have to take advantage of those opportunities as well to promote the truth of God through policy. And and I would love for all of us as an AFR family to kind of rededicate this year into saying we are going to take advantage of every opportunity for Christ and to be centered on those values instead of engaging in the divisiveness, we need to instead engage in the values and we need to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ. So Matthew 6:33 in putting God first says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you or added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what opportunities are facing you today that you can take advantage of to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ in your family, in your church community, and in your civil society? Every opportunity put God first. Have a great day. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.